welcome to the Women in Diplomacy podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Sumnicht. This is a project that seeks to empower more diverse voices in foreign policy, international relations, and diplomacy. Specifically, it's targeting young women who are interested in pursuing a career in this field. I'm setting out to interview role models in this space as a way to understand the contributions and attributes that diversity can give to foreign policy, plus the positive impact that can come from including more voices in foreign policy, and as a way to understand the challenges that women face as they pursue a career in this dynamic field. Let's get started. This is Alec Ross. He worked under Secretary Clinton as her senior advisor on innovation and technology at the U.S. State Department. In the last 20 years, there have been literally hundreds of peace treaties that that have been negotiated, a majority of which have failed. And a backwards analysis of all of these treaties show that women make up 7% of the negotiators. This despite the fact that women are natural peacemakers and natural community builders. And if you just look at the evidence of what they've done, when that 7% has been given a seat at the mahogany table, their impact has been very distinct and very important. Think about the Good Friday Accords in Northern Ireland in 1998. It was women negotiators who insisted on provisions related to reconciliation, integration, and victims' rights. And those three things that were pushed for and bowled through by women proved to be indispensable to the durability and success of the Good Friday Agreements and diffusing what had been a a horribly malignant conflict between the Protestants and and the Catholics in Northern Ireland. A study by Goldman Sachs said that in the United States, if we narrowed barriers to full participation by women in the workforce, our GDP would increase by 9%. And if the same happened in the Eurozone, it would be an increase by 14%. And so as we all struggle with the question of economic growth, the single most economically effective approach would be for us to create more space for women to engage from the bottom of the ladder to the boardroom. Wow, that's quite an endorsement, isn't it? The mahogany table he talks about represents the diplomatic spaces where key decisions on our global policies and international laws are happening. So it sounds to me like it's a no-brainer that we need to tap into new pools of talent and new ways of thinking about tackling today's most pressing global issues. So then, what's the problem? Foreign policy in the United States still means guns and bombs to most people. It's that simple. Once you expand it to development, you have a majority of women, right? If you want to look for development experts, they are majority women. National security experts, mostly men. And that's part of it, right? It is not exactly a welcoming work environment, but overall, it's still an incredibly gendered space. That is Anne-Marie Slaughter, currently the president and CEO of the New America Foundation and formerly Dean of Princeton's School of International Affairs, but also the first female director of policy planning for the U.S. Department of State, where she received the Secretary's Distinguished Service Award for her work leading the Quadrennial Diplomacy and Development Review. 
Here, she's being interviewed by Patricia Sabga, a foreign correspondent with Al Jazeera America. I think that's a problem for our foreign policy, right? We have a very narrow set of ideas about what are the tools that you use. More women, but also more people of color, just different voices, would give us a different map of the world, I mean, in our heads, and a different set of tools and a different set of perspectives. We all know this. We all know that women bring a, a different filter, if you will, a different perspective, and can really broaden the debate on foreign policy. And yet, we don't have that many women heading up major think tanks. We don't have that many women in major foreign policy decisions. We don't see that many women on TV talking about foreign <laughs> policy. How do we tackle that? Tackling that lack of diverse leadership is exactly the objective of this podcast. So it sounds like there's lots of socioeconomic and cultural forces at play. That's what's going on on a macro level. But what's happening for women on a personal, more micro level? Here is Hazami Barmada from the United Nations and Almira Bayrosley, a journalist and co-founder of Foreign Policy Interrupted. They're chatting at the Carnegie Council for Ethics and International Affairs. We know that women's involvement in politics globally has doubled in the past 10 years, but it's still at 22%. What could we do to empower more women, women to go into politics? And what do you think the biggest barriers are, not only for entry, but for the kind of enticing young women to go into that sector? Um, I don't think, I mean, I think women, you know, I don't think you have to entice them. I think if the opportunities are there, I think they're ready to take them. And I've traveled to, you know, several dozen countries and talking to both young men and women, I mean, the women are e as equally as interested in doing different things, but also very globally aware. And I think the challenge is, is to really literally, I mean, take a term from, you know, entrepreneurship in the startup world to disrupt the status quo and to really change the mind frame of you know what you know what women can be involved in and bringing their bringing their voices to the table and having them participate so then preparedness and willingness doesn't seem to be the issue according to the center on american progress women now earn 60% of all masters degrees in the united states the Institute of International Education shows us that over the last 10 years, study abroad programs have consistently been saturated with women. What worries me is that this means women are qualified and interested. But that's not translating into having them be in successful careers where they are using that knowledge to better our diplomatic efforts. This not only seems like a wasted opportunity to me, but one question I want to explore is, is it dangerous to not include women in key international dialogue? So our target here is women in their 20s. What's happening between approximately age 20 when they're graduating and excited about contributing to the world? And then approximately age 30, when they should be starting to build the foundational blocks of their career, but instead we're seeing a disengagement. Not to mention 10 more years down the line, women not ending up in leadership positions. What is missing? We need more mentorship. We need more guidance. And I think it's most important that we work harder to engage youth in helping them understand that they have a major part to play in the future of our world. 
This is an excerpt from the Roosevelt Institute's Campus Network 2015 webinar on new voices in foreign policy. I like Aman Banerjee's question that he poses to Vinay Chawla from the State Department. Um, and I want to ask the next question. I would love to start off with you, Vinay, on why you think the world of foreign policy is inaccessible to young people. Feel free to directly contradict that statement as well, of course. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, it's a good question. And the bad news is I think foreign policy, and, and one could apply this almost to a lot of uh, sectors uh, in life, respects uh, those in powers and those that have a strong interest. Um, those that have a platform are the ones that will have influence. And often, I think in the past you found, uh, and this is, applies to the young or youth, don't necessarily have uh, that platform or, or that power at a young age. So there's lots of questions, and I'm looking for answers. I think it's time to stop talking and start acting. I hope this podcast inspires you to get up, go out, and find the way that you want to contribute to the world. Listen, brainstorm, and be in touch. I want to hear from you. Check out theforeignpolicyproject.org and send your feedback. I'm so excited to invite you to come along on this journey with me. song is by the amazing Rodrigo y Gabriela. Thank you to the team at Ruby Works Independent Record Label in Dublin, Ireland for supporting educational programming through her mission to spread my love of your music. To the Center for American Progress and the Institute for International Education, you do awesome research. Keep up the great work. A very special thanks for permission to use their content goes out to Patricia Sabga, for use of your 2015 interview with Anne-Marie Slaughter for Al Jazeera America. Thank you to the Carnegie Council on Ethics in International Affairs for use of your 2015 interview with Elmira Bay Rosley and Hazami Barmada. Thank you to the Roosevelt Institute and your Campus Network for the use of your 2015 webinar on new voices in foreign policy. And thanks to Alec Ross for use of your 2012 TEDx Mid-Atlantic Talk titled What I Learned in 1,298 Days Working Under Hillary Clinton. To all those out there listening, you can check out information about all of these organizations and more at theforeignpolicyproject.org. <laughs>